After the tests of Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, and after seven days and seven nights of silence, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, A boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with rulers who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil. There the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there. The slave is freed from his master. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to man whose way is hidden from God, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest but only turmoil, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, two Sundays ago, we were introduced to an extraordinary man by the name of Job. Job is described in the first part of this book, in the first couple chapters, as being blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was blessed with seven sons and three daughters. He was rich beyond compare. The owner of 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 
1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. Job was blessed out of his sock, so to speak, and he had nothing to complain about. Life was good. He was the man. And then came the disaster. In one fell swoop, he lost it all. One messenger after another came running with the breathless message of loss. Loss of livestock, loss of land, loss of servants, and finally the message that all of his ten children were killed when the house they were partying in collapsed. Everything that he had amassed was destroyed, gone, dead. Everything that filled his life and his future was wiped out. What a calamity in Job's life. And one can only imagine what that first day was like, that day on which he received the news from the messengers. I remember when I was first in ministry, I had to go and tell a young mother that her husband had been killed that morning on the 401. Then from her house, I had to go to the in-laws. And then I had to go to other family members. I just kind of went from house to house and told the same story. I felt like a human wrecking ball, and I was done when that day was over. To tell the news to someone that someone, that's, that's, that someone has died is, is devastating. And especially when you come to a house and they see you coming already, those who, who are receiving it recoil from someone. It's almost like getting punched in the stomach. It bends them over, it makes them scream, and it makes them back away. Job must have felt like he was in a boxing ring that day when messenger after messenger came to tell him horrible news. One wasn't finished punching him when the next one stepped up to take his best shot. And then added to the external losses in his life, Job then was afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Can't even imagine what that was like. I remember when I suffered the effects of poison ivy. That threw me for a loop. But sores all over his body must have been excruciating. So not only was he being punched by the losses of the externals in his life, but Job was being pummeled internally as well. Job, whose name means persecuted one in Hebrew, was fulfilling the, the, the meaning of his name to the full extent of its meaning. In one fell swoop, Job's entire life collapsed. And while we have the background information concerning the scene in God's throne room, Job had no rational explanation for what was happening to him. He had gone from someone who excelled in terms of riches and possessions to one who now excelled or exceeded everyone else in grief and in loss, from one extreme to the other. So how does one respond to such calamity? People react differently to calamity, and the reactions include things like, 
shock and tears and sadness and depression and numbness and dullness and weakness and the inability to think clearly and to do anything and then that anger that so often overwhelms. How does one respond to such calamity? Job, as Pastor John uh, pointed out so eloquently a couple of weeks ago, fell to the ground and worshipped. He didn't curse out, he didn't curse God, he didn't lash out at anyone, not at this point anyway. He was silent. And he went into deep and intense mourning. The number seven, a biblical number symbolizing completeness, only shows how full and complete his agony was. In fact, it was even more than complete and full. It went beyond the usual customary seven days of mourning because now we're also added the seven nights. Deep, deep was his loss, his agony, his pain, his grief. And doing what the people of his time did when in grief, Job tore his robe, he shaved his head, he poured ashes over himself, and then he sat in that ash heap. And in his misery, he was reduced to using broken pottery to provide relief from his itching. And when his friends arrived, they noted that he was quite changed from the last time they had seen him. Physically, he had changed so much, they hardly recognized him. We, who know the background story of the conversation between God and the accuser, know that the first test was having, was having everything external taken away from him. He loves you, Lord, because you bless him. His faith, his faithfulness is based on your gifts to him. Take it all away and he will curse you to your face. But instead, Job fell to the ground in worship, or he prostrated himself before the Lord. And then came the second test. Touch him as a person. Touch his body, and he will curse you to your face. Instead, Job sat on the ash heap, scraping himself, and in silence. <coughs> For seven days and seven nights, Job's three friends came and sat with him. For seven days and seven nights, Job said nothing, and his friends said nothing. They sat there in stunned, sad silence. How'd the 20-minute challenge to sit in silence go for you? Did it work? They sat in stunned, sad silence. What was there to say? What could they say? Job hadn't said anything yet, and he's the one who had suffered. So what right did they have to speak? In the light of his loss, there were no words that would have made any sense or that would have brought any comfort or any encouragement. 
So they were intimate and silent. And then out of that silence and out of that intimacy, Job finally spoke. Chapter 3 recounts his words. Surely this must be one of the darkest chapters in the Bible, spoken out of great suffering and loss. And I suppose we ought to praise the Lord that there's another chapter after chapter 3. Because for many, what Job experienced in that day, in that one day, would have spelt the end of their life as well. What's the use of going on? What's left? I might as well end it too. Suicide is one answer to all the pain and the loss that was experienced. And by the way, yes, Christians do take their own lives. Things can get so dark that, humanly speaking, they cannot find a way out. Children of the Lord do take their own lives. Knowing that we are saved by grace and not by works, those children of the Lord who take their own lives are also embraced by Him. But there is no suicide in this story. Instead, Job opened his mouth to speak, and when he did, he spoke a curse. Now, interesting, the accuser was probably waiting for Job's first words, anticipating that with them he would curse God and turn his back on the Lord, and thereby he, as an accuser, would be correct in his judgment of Job. And perhaps even the friends were expecting that that might be the case, and so it's almost with breathless anticipation that it was noticed that after seven days and seven nights of silence, Job broke his silence with a curse. But he did not. He did not curse God. Instead, he cursed the day of his birth. The accuser's report to God about Job had been wrong. Job's faith was intact in spite of everything he had experienced. At least it was still intact at this point. And so now after a period of silence, it's as if the floodgates needed to open. And open they did with Job spilling the truth of where he was at. There seemed to be no rhyme and no reason for what was happening to him and his grief was overwhelming and echo what the psalm writer wrote in the last verse of Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend. It's the only psalm, by the way, that ends in such a dark place. All the other psalms, like the Psalm of 42, which we sang earlier, all the other psalms of lament seem to climb out of the hole and cast an eye or the heart or the soul of the writer toward the Lord in whom there is comfort and hope. But not Psalm 88 and not Job 3. These are dark chapters that reveal deep private thoughts, thoughts and realities shared by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 20 where he quotes Job and also curses the day he was born. And I'm grateful that this chapter and that these kinds of stories are in the Bible because 
I suspect that these sorts of thoughts are the sorts of things that we would just assume not share with other believers because, well, Christians aren't really supposed to talk like this, are they? And maybe some of the readers of this chapter want to say to Job that he really has no right to say these kinds of things and to speak this way to the Lord, but why not? He's being quite real, and we can see from the rest of the book the Lord has broad shoulders, and the Lord can handle it quite well. I'm grateful to the Lord that I have not been in as dark a place as Job experienced in his life. But I know people who have, and I know people in this congregation who are there now. It's not a great place to be. And how in the world does one respond? Perhaps like the friends of Job, the best thing is to simply be there in silence and let the one who is in the darkness talk. And you're intimate and you're one in the Lord and so you just let the person who's in the darkness talk. And so Job talks. And he begins with a curse, the verses 1 through 10 which is followed by a lament in verses 11 through 26. Job curses the day of his birth. Actually, he goes beyond that to the very day of his conception. Look at this. I want to read it again. I want you to get the imagery that's here. It's beautiful. It's actually, it's very dark and it's kind of sad. May the day of my birth perish. And the night that was said, a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered on any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For if it did not shut the doors, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. The language of those verses, of verses 3 through 10, is stunning and filled with darkness, quite the opposite of what we heard this morning in terms of Christ bringing the light. The curse implies that the thought that history ought to be rewritten in such a way that it excludes the day of Job's conception and birth so that Job would never have existed and therefore the horror he experienced would never be real either. The reference, the reference to Leviathan is a reference to an ancient symbol of chaos, a creature from the sea. And Job seems to suggest that such a creature ought to be awoken so that it could attack, as it were, the very day of his birth and drive that day off the calendar. Job wishes that his birthday had never happened at all. 
And since in the Old Testament it was thought that it was God who opened and closed a woman's womb in terms of whether or not a woman will carry a child or not, Job comes very close to questioning God as to his wisdom in allowing Job's mother to be able to carry a child, child and so allow Job to be born in the first place. She was gone, that it never happened, that it never appeared on the calendar, that it wasn't part of life or history or anything of the sort. One can certainly read into these first 10 verses some very deep, deep pain and sorrow on the part of Joel. He's not suicidal. He doesn't have a death wish. But he's hurting, and he's wondering aloud, and he's questioning his life. And so far, the friends haven't said anything. Good for them. There's nothing to say. Just listen. It's okay. After all, Job is talking and weeping and asking and wondering and allowing his mind and soul and heart and spirit to spout and flow with pain and agony. This is not whining or unjustified. This is being human. This is being real and honest. And that's okay. Then the curse is followed by a lament in verses 11 through 26. He begins by questioning why he was not stillborn or why there was a mother to nurse him and hold him. Why could he, have not, why could he not have died at childbirth? Against, again, the imagery is stunning. If he had died at childbirth, he would have had peace and he would not have had to face the realities that he did. If he had died at childbirth, he would be at peace in death with all others who finally achieved peace in death, kings and counselors and rulers and the wicked and weary people and the captives and the slave. In death, all are no longer discontent. In death, they don't face enemies anymore. They're no longer in turmoil or restless or experiencing abuse or following orders. All those images are found in verses 11 through 19. Death brings peace from the turmoil and the pain of this world. Oh, why didn't I perish at birth? Had I died at birth, I would never have had to face what I have experienced. And then in verse 20, the questions continue. Why is light given to those in misery and so forth? He talks about treasure seekers in verse 21. The imagery is of those who come upon a great treasure and they're all excited and they rejoice and they see it gleam and they see it shine only to discover that upon seeing it, they die right on the spot with the treasure is the last thing that they see. <laughs> it reminds me of of some of the scenes in the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. Upon getting the treasure, seeing it there, it was great joy, and then the whole cavern caves in and kills those who have the treasure in their hands. 
This morning we were reminded of the story Lord of the Rings and the Gollum character. And then there was finally that he got the ring again. Do you remember? And if you saw the movie, those of you who haven't seen the movie, that this would be lost on you. He finally got the ring. And then he's smiling and he's happy. Well, where is he? He's in Mount Doom in the lava. And he disappears and he dies. Job has been allowed to see the sun and the light of everything. And then it was all taken away. Why did he have to see it in the first place? Why did he have to experience that? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Why? 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 It makes no sense. There's a faith battle on the go here. What's the point of life with all this misery? There's no attempt here on the part of Joel to get rid of God or to say that he doesn't exist. But behind all of Job's wondering and questioning and pain, he must be reevaluating who God is. Is this perhaps what God is really like? Maybe God is someone who gives and who takes at will, and we just kind of have to suck it up. Oh, the questions are endless. And they're not resolved. At least not in chapter 3. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Darkness is my closest friend. Centuries later, in the darkness we hear a cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heaven was silent. But like in the story of Job, there was another chapter. And this evening in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we pay attention to the rest of the story. But not in this message. I'm going to leave us hanging in the conversation and leave us where chapter 3 leaves us, in the dark. Darkness is my closest friend. And we'll pick it up from here in the weeks to come. Amen. Father in heaven, your word is so real. It can be so painful. It allows us to ask questions. It allows us to fling our questions in heaven, and we're so grateful for that. Oh, it didn't resolve itself tonight. But we know that there's another chapter. And we're about to go to the table of the Lord, and so we know that there's a big other chapter.
because we know that in Christ there is hope. But for some in this congregation at the moment in their life, there is only darkness. And so, Lord, we pray that with your Holy Spirit, we may be a people who are silent. We may be a people who allow others to ask their questions. And so, Lord, we ask that through the working of your Spirit, you would drive away the darkness and give us light. In Christ Jesus, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.